You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, it's already been a great morning, and uh, I, I love the sovereignty of God, right? Like, long before... Susanna knew she was going to be baptized on this day. Um, I was planning my calendar for this year, and Romans 8, 35 to 39 is the text we're going to be looking at today that tells us what? That nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's just a rich text that we've been looking at. Romans chapter 8 is just uh, so good. This will bring us to a completion today, and we'll, we'll look at the book of Joshua for the summer, and then we'll get into Romans 9 in the fall. And uh, really uh, excited about that study in the book of Joshua. I really believe that God's going to teach us a lot through the example of what God did with his people of Israel and what we can learn from that today. And uh, I just want to remind us of some of the things that we learned last week about God and his purposes for us. Um, If he's for you, then what? Who can be against you? He is a powerful God. There's nothing that can quench God's generosity. If he has given you his son, how much more so will he give you what you need? He is a generous father. And then lastly, we learned that there is no one who can condemn God's people. Jesus has done, is doing, and will do all that is needed for your salvation. And he is an awesome Savior. Thinking about Susanna's testimony this morning, you know, chasing after all that this world has to offer, and, and thinking that's where her satisfaction would be. And I think about ourselves this morning, if I was to ask you, what does your soul long for more than anything else? And the core of your being, what is it you feel like you need more than anything else? And I want us to hear this morning that there is only one thing that will ever satisfy your soul, and that is God's perfect love, his steadfast love. If you go searching for it, Uh, satisfaction in anything else, you will be found wanting over and over again. And what we're going to see in the text this morning is that God's perfect love is something that should be in the forefronts of our minds day in and day out. And as a result, it gives us peace and it gives us hope for things to come. So let me pray for us and then we're going to get right into this text. God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we're so thankful for your love today. Every one of us who knows you as Lord and Savior this morning, we we can call you Father and know that your love is steadfast. In other words, God, you will never take away your love. You love us as much right now as you ever will love us, and that love is perfect. And so, God, we want to praise you this morning for that truth. And God, I pray for hearts this morning that we would be convinced of your love as much as Paul was convinced of it. That that God, we would not doubt, that we would not fear, but that God, we would take great solace in the fact that nothing and no one can ever separate us from your love. God, would you lead me now as I preach? God, help me to speak your words in a way that would bring you honor and glory. In your name we pray, amen. 
All right, so Romans 8, 35 to 39, pull out your Bible or your Bible app, whatever you have. Uh, but we want to look at it this morning together. What does God's Word tell us? What is our authority telling us this morning about God? And as we've already said several times, we're going to learn a whole lot about His love today. So Romans 8, 35 to 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Three things I want us to learn about God's steadfast love today. So God's steadfast love first provides what? It provides the conviction to face our foes. It provides the conviction to face our foes. If we understand that the love of God is steadfast, as I prayed, that it's the same now and forevermore, that it is eternally yours in Christ. What does that provide? It provides the conviction to face our enemies, our foes. Let's look at that verse 35 again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This is another question in this list of questions as Paul's desiring us to really think through the implications that we have a sovereign, powerful God over us who is over everything so that we might be conformed to his image, that he is the God who, is sa- who has saved, who is saving, and who will save. Who shall separate us from his love? He's going to list a whole bunch of things here, but when you think about love, what is your definition of love? I think, I don't know about around the world, but I, as I think about Canada, I think when we think about love, we think that equates no problems. We think that equates no suffering, no hardships in my life. If I am being loved, then everything will be easy and good. But that is a fantasy. That's something we make up in our minds. It's found nowhere in the scripture and nowhere in, nowhere in reality. But we like to think it exists, but it does not. So, are there some things that you think right now, this morning, if you were thinking about it, is there some things that can separate me from God's love? Note here in verse 35, he says, love of Christ, verse 39, love of God. Love how they just, Paul just comes from one to the other, the Trinity, kind of just without making explanation, three in one, right? Over and over again, we see that. But what is he saying here about the love of Christ? Are there conditions, now I want you to think about this, are there conditions on God's love for us? Are there circumstances, are there events where his love might be removed from the believer? You ever thought about that? It's an important question to be answered because if we're being honest, there are times in our lives where we can be tempted to doubt whether or not we're still loved by God. We view God's love not as steadfast, but as conditional. If I do good, he'll love me. If I do bad, he will not love me. 
That's the automatic thing that we think about. So what about right now? Do you believe that at some point in your life, between now and death, that you could be separated from the love of Christ? Do you believe it's a possibility? That you could do something where God would remove his love from you? Or that the enemies in your life could somehow cause Christ to stop loving you? What are you convinced of? Again and again, in these verses, these latter verses of Romans 8, Paul's like, this I know, this I am persuaded of, this I am convinced of. What are you convinced of this morning? What are you persuaded of this morning? Maybe some of you are sitting here this morning and you think, it's already happened. Actually, uh, God already has removed his love from me. You know, I, 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 I was doing my best, but I, I, I strayed. I went away from the Lord, and I don't know that I can ever be made right with him again. I, I've sinned too greatly. How, how, could, how could he forgive me? And I know me, I'm just going to keep messing up. So he, I likely, does not love me today. If that's what you're thinking today, I want you to understand that's a lie. You have to hear that. If you are his kid, if you have placed your faith and trust in him for salvation, then his love will never be taken away. Now, I also want to, think, want to mention this. If you're not his kid today, then his steadfast love is not upon you. Now, I know that's hard for you. Like, what? I thought you just said God, God's a God of love and... He is, and he's made a way for you to be reconciled to him, but it's through Jesus Christ. And if you're not in Christ this morning, then he stands opposed to you. We looked at this last week. He stands opposed to you. He's not for you. He's against you. You are walking in rebellion against his ways, but, but what? Christ has come so that we might be reconciled. And so this morning, I would plead with you, I would ask you to consider, are you truly his kid? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? If you're not, then this morning, your first step is to do what Susanna did and repent of your sin and place your trust in him. And then, all what we're talking about today is yours in him. So, what are some things Paul lists here? What, you know, if we're going to just kind of spitball it, you know, like I, I, I think actually maybe there are some things. This is, I love what Paul's so pastoral here. Maybe there are some things that could separate me from his love. Well, what about this? How about tribulation? I'm just going to give a little bit of definition to these words we go through. What about tribulation? It's this idea of being squeezed or placed under pressure or crushed beneath a weight. You had times like that in your life? You're like I, like, I feel like there's a piano on my back, and I, I don't even know if I can get this thing off me or if it will ever come off me. There's times where, where you just feel this weight upon you. It could be physical. It could be mental. It could be social. It could be economic. There's all kinds of different tribulations that we will have in this life before we see the Father. Shall that separate you from the love of Christ? What about Distress. Distress here is a set of difficult circumstances. It's an especially oppressive and constricting condition. So you, you, you're unable to do certain things, right? So tribulation, distress. Shall, shall some of these things be able to keep you away from the love of Christ? 
Is there a time when you are in a place where, where his love, his care is no longer there? Is there a possibility that that could happen? Scholars thinking about these two words as they're put together, there's this idea of tribulation is out this outward affliction, and distress is this inner affliction that we have. And we understand that, right? There's, there's the things that come at us, and then there's like just us trying to figure out things on our own, and we're battling, and we're wrestling. Shall these things separate us from the love of Christ? What about persecution? If somebody's persecuting me, is, is Christ's love now gone? Is it no longer with me as a result of me following him? If, if people hate me as a result of Christ, does that testify that God's care is no longer there? Christ's care is no longer there? I was thinking about persecution. It's like the anti-evangelism, right? We go to the world and say, hey, there's good news. God has created us all. Bad news, we've all sinned against him. Bad news, he is a just God and every sin must be punished. And that punishment is death, eternal death. Good news, sent his son so that we might be reconciled to him, that our sins might be covered by Christ, that we might have relationship with the Father, right? That's, that's the message we give. Their message is, you need to believe what we believe when there's persecution. Isn't that what they're saying, right? You're an idiot for believing what you believe. And I don't like that you're calling me a bad person. So here's my news. If you don't stop, I'm going to do X, Y, or Z, right? And depending on your society, that can be imprisonment, right? If you get the whole government in a mentality like that, it could be imprisonment. It could be fines. It could be even death if you don't believe what they believe. And, of course, over the last 2,000 years, many, many Christians have been martyred for their faith in Christ. And the trajectory, unfortunately, Canadians is that it's going to get tougher, not easier, for you to walk in Christ. But I think that's a good thing, because we're going to cling to him. And guess what? His love is still there as we go through that. His care is still there. And we get to share in Christ's sufferings as we are persecuted. What about famine or nakedness? Basically, what he's saying here is, what if I have no food? What if every day I'm waking up and I don't know whether I'm going to eat that day or not? What if I'm in a place where I don't know if I'm going to have, it's not like, well, I don't know, I, I only have 40 pairs of jeans, I, which one should I wear today? Like, not that story, right? But like the, I don't know if I have enough clothing to get through the environment that I in, I'm in right now because I'm also homeless, like, if I'm in that situation, perhaps then God has turned his face away from me and he no longer loves me. Is that the story? Is that what, what, what the God's word tells us? If these things come into our life, perhaps Christ no longer loves us? What about danger or sword? All kinds of dangers. Dangers, idea, the idea here would be any kind of threat against us in any kind of way. And, of course, sword symbolizes death. If I was to die for my fallen Christ, would that mean that he no longer loved me? Do, do, can any of these things take me away from Jesus' love? Now, I understand you guys are all Bible scholars in here, right? 
So you all know the right answer here, right? You all know the answer in your head, but do you know it here yet? Are you convinced in your soul, in your heart, that no matter what you're going through, that God's loving care is with you through whatever it is? Or, as you're going through your week, are you grumbling and complaining about the things that are happening in your life because you think God doesn't care? You don't say it out loud, but that's what you're saying when you grumble and complain. Your your care isn't good. I don't like what you're doing. I doubt your love for me right now. I, I don't understand what you're doing. That's what we're saying when we doubt his love. But if you're convinced as Paul was convinced that none of these things can separate us from his love, then you'll have a heart of thankfulness in whatever God brings your way. You know, if we only had a guy who's been through all this, who could testify whether or not this love could be taken away from us, this is the guy, right? Paul. What's his testimony? Let me just read a few verses. 1 Corinthians 4, 11 to 13. Here's his story. To this present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world. There's a... That's a great description, right? That's not the end. The refuse of all things. I think we all know what the translation means there. So, like, he's, like that's my story, Paul's saying. This is my life. Hunger, thirst, homeless, wondering where the next meal is going to come in, working hard, persecuted, slandered, and we're just like the garbage, the scum of the world. That's what people think of us. That's our status in the world standings, scum. Like that's pretty low, would you not think? That's his personal testimony. What about a little bit later? 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 28. Paul talking about his life, he talks, are they servants of Christ, these other people? I'm a, I am a better one. I am talking like a madman because they're like, look at how great and holy we are. But he says, listen, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings and often near death. This is his testimony. This is not hypotheticals, things that have happened in his life. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers. Danger? Remember that danger part? In danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. This man who's saying nothing, none of this list can separate us from the love of Christ is giving a personal testimony to say, I've been through it all. And the only thing he had not been through yet was the sword, and that would come just a few years later after this. And he would die well, giving glory to the Father and to the Son. 
Do you believe, are you convinced the same as Paul, that no matter what you face, that God is with you, that he loves you and cares for you, whatever you're going through? Because let's be honest, if these things happened in our lives, we'd be like, we'd be in a fetal position crying, saying, God doesn't love me anymore. May the Lord give us faith like Paul. We often look, like, look at a guy like Paul, man, love to be Paul. Would you? Really? Like we'd love to see like, the, like the gospel go forth with power from city to city, from country to country. Like we'd all love to see that, and yet we don't want his life. But maybe the two went hand in hand. If we really want to see souls saved, maybe we need to stop grumbling and complaining every time we have a little trouble and be convinced that in that trouble, God is conforming us into his image so that we might represent him well. And then he says, hey, I get it. You guys are like, you're nuts. So what does he do? Don't believe me, believe the scriptures. Psalm 44, 22, he quotes, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Like, why is he, what? Why is he quoting this? You look at the Psalm 44, not too many times you can do this in the Old Testament, but guess what? At this time, Israel was actually being faithful. They actually were seeking God. They were loving God. And yet, they were being persecuted. And all Paul is saying is, listen, this has always been this way for God's people. Don't think it's strange that these things would be happening to you. These hardships would be happening to you. God is using these things for your good and for his glory. Calvin put it like this, it is no new thing for the Lord to permit his saints to be undeservably exposed to the cruelty of the ungodly. This may be hard for us to understand, but it is important that we are convinced that in the midst of whatever you find yourself in, that Jesus loves you very much, and he is using whatever you find yourself in for your good, which is becoming like Jesus, and for his glory. If I insist on believing that hardships equal Jesus' love removed, I will become a bitter person far removed from God. Because hardships are coming. It's just a matter of time in your life. As I mentioned earlier, to think that, that love equals no hardship is a fairy tale. Look at the facts. Look at Jesus' life. Do you guys think that Jesus was loved by the Father? Anyone think that maybe Jesus was loved by the Father? For sure he was. Jesus testified it to, about it all the time, right? That he and the Father were one. That he was loved by the Father. And yet, Jesus himself had no place to lay his head. He experienced hunger. He experienced sorrow. He was rejected. He was despised. He was hated. He was threatened. He was persecuted. He was beaten. He was flogged. He was spit upon. He was mocked. He was abandoned. And he was crucified. Based on our thinking that you and I, let's be honest, our default thinking, we would claim that the Son was not loved by the Father. And yet we know it to be true. 
Love does not guarantee a problem-free life. Another lie that we believe is that things maybe will get better as we get more godly, right? Maybe I'll have less problems when I get closer to Christ. Again, bad news. Not based on what we see in the Word. Again, think about Paul's life. If we have more time, I would, look, I, would just, I would just encourage you guys to look at these verses for yourself. But 2 Timothy 4, 9 to 11. In 2 Timothy 4, 9 to 11, getting near, very near, I think he's got like three more verses he writes after this, but he's, he's writing, literally writing the last things he will write that we have in our scriptures. He's in the last hours of his life, and guess what? People are deserting him. People are against him. He says that no one, no one stood with me. These are in, this, is, this is Apostle Paul. In his last hours, he's being deserted. And yet, who did not desert him in his last hours? He says in verse 18, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Christ has assured us of his love. He has not assured us that we would, have, we would be free from suffering. This brings us to our next point. God's steadfast love, the courage to forsake our fears. The courage to forsake our fears. He answers the question that he answered, sorry, he answers the question that he, that he uh, they began with in verse 35. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Anyone here like to win? Anyone? Okay, nobody's listening. Because you're, <laughs> really? You all like to win. Nobody likes to lose. Seriously, yeah, I love it. Every time I play a game, I hope I lose. In life, I hope to be a loser. No, everybody wants to win. But, but listen, the victory that we all need and long for is victory in Christ. And he's telling us here, listen, when all these things are coming against you, all these foes are coming against you, it's not even close. You are more than a conqueror. Over the last 2,000 years, they've been trying to figure out how, how, do, how do we translate this, right? Here, uh, more than conquerors. Some overwhelming conquerors. The point is, you're not just squeaking by. Oh, we just got in. Just, just barely. Whew, that was a close one. No, the God who is so powerful and is over everything, he's using all of these circumstances that would look like they're going to be a defeat in your life, and he's using them for his glory and for your good. And, and, and it is an incredible, incredible thing. All of these things, the, the tribulation, the distress, the persecution, the famine, the nakedness, the danger, the sword, he's using them all, and in all we're becoming more than conquerors. I like this, Newell, noting the contrast, verse 36, we're called sheep for slaughter, and then here, more than conquerors. Only in God's economy does this work, right? But, it, but it's the way it is. Because what? We follow, we're following the Lamb of God, who is the Lion of Judah. And so we're not promised to be kept away from trials, but we are promised victory over them. Spurgeon, commenting on this verse, said, For the believer, all we lose is straw and chaff. 
What a great picture, right? When we, when, when we lose in this life, all we're losing is the stuff that's not going to matter anyways. All you're losing is straw and chaff, the stuff that is fleeting, stuff that is temporary. You're like, how is it that we could be seen as more than conquerors? That's, that's not a great list. To be scum of the world does not sound like a conqueror. Think about eternity. In the context of eternity, it changes the whole perspective, right? If in this short life we have these challenges and we have these things, but through them we are going to come out on the other end with an eternal treasure, like you're like, for sure. And how long will that victory last for? Eternity, right? So this short little battle that you're in and, and, and you, know, you losing like, you know, whatever, you lost your life savings. So what? That'd be pretty hard, wouldn't it? Would you think that God had forsaken you if that happened? Would you think all hope is lost? The point Paul's saying is like, no, oh, just chaff. Chaff's gone. Right? And what? Eternity coming. I mean, Jesus pointed to this in his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 3 to 12. I'm just going to, again, highlight a few things for the sake of time here. Poor in spirit, what do they get? Kingdom. Kingdom of heaven. Mourn. If you mourn, comforted. If you're meek, you get the earth. You will inherit the earth. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied. If you're merciful, you're going to get mercy. If you're pure in heart, you're going to see God. If you're a peacemaker, you're going to be called sons of God. If you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, yours will be the kingdom of heaven. And you are blessed when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. Why? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This, this, this earth is fleeting. It's, it's, a, it's a mist. So don't cling so tightly to the things of the earth, but cling to Christ. Know that he loves you. Know that he cares for you. And seek to bring him glory. I love what Joel Stoll says here. Can I display God's glory in this? Whatever you're facing today, ask that question. How do I display God's glory in what I'm going through? He says this, Stoll, often our suffering is not about us, but about people seeing the power of God working through our weakness. Could it be that's why Paul's ministry was so blessed. They could see clearly that it wasn't about Paul, but it was about the power of God through Paul. In our weakness, the power of God is on display as he brings about his eternal purposes. And it's not even close. It's a lopsided victory in which the enemy or opponent is completely routed. The world will not have its way. If you doubt, just meditate on the book of Revelation. I've been doing that in 2021. You just, I'm not worried about any of the enemies. I'm <laughs> just not. You just read the book of Revelation, like, yeah, that's it's not even close. It doesn't matter, as we're going to see in just a moment. It doesn't matter who's coming against you, what situation you find yourself in. God is love and care is with you. I love what Hal Dane has to say here. It is better for the believer that if he had not been called to suffer, 
than if he had not been called to suffer. He is a gainer and a conqueror, both in the immediate fruits of his sufferings, as God overrules them for his good, bringing him forth from the furnace as gold refined, and also in their final issue for our light affliction, which is but a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. All right, so we just need to really try hard, right? How does the victory come about? What's the end of the verse say? Through him who loved us. The victory comes through Christ. And so it's not in doubt, for sure. If it's about you and me trying to gain the victory, it would be definitely in doubt. But it is through Christ who loved us. Did you note the word there? Loved. Loved us. It's pointing to the cross, the work that is finished. It is done. It is finished as he hung on the cross. This is why Jesus said it is finished. The victory is already ours in him. And to prove it, he died, he rose again, and he's at the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf. And one day soon, he's going to complete the victory. And so the victory is ours. I was thinking, it's like, you know, when we cheer for our favorite sports teams, like the Flames, some of you would cheer for them. But what do we, how do we talk about the victory the next day? Yeah, we won. We? What are you talking about? We won. Like, you didn't, did you strap on, strap on the skate somehow? Like, you weren't there, right? And I was thinking how much more so it's like this. We are more than conquerors. Like, what did we do? Nothing. <laughs> but, but yet we are called conquerors. Like, how incredible. How good of our God. How merciful, how gracious that we would get to share in his glory. Well, last point, God's steadfast love, what? It provides the confidence to fuel our faith. It provides the confidence to fuel our faith. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am sure. Again, just note the confidence. He's like, and really what he's doing here is he's just trying to think of anything, anything possible that anyone could come up with to say, hey, what about this? Could this separate us from the love of God? I was joking at our small group. It was like, he, he did that so that if aliens ever did come, not even the aliens, right? Okay, I'm joking. We don't need to go on that tangent, right? But, but nothing, nothing shall separate us. What about death? Should that do it? In our marriage vows, I mean, a marriage is, is something so close and, and, and that is a really unique relationship here on this earth. But what? Till death, do us part. And at that point, you are no longer together. But not so for the believer. And when we, as we fear, perhaps fear, what, what, what will, what's going to happen? And, 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 and what will it look like when I leave this earth? I don't know. And, but here's the thing we know. The thing that we can know for sure. 
I, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I know that I will still be under his loving, caring protection when I leave this earth. So death will not separate me from him. This life and all that it has in store for me, will it separate me from his love? No, it will not. What about the, the angels or rulers, the, the, and really demons here, there would be another way, angels or demons, would they be able to separate us from the love? No. But what about the thing that I'm going through right now, is it possible that this could separate me from his love? Listen, believer, no, it will not. His care is for you right now. Whatever you're going through, I know you are, some of you are carrying tremendous burdens this morning. Hear this. God's love and care is with you in this. Trust him. Cry out to him. He is with you. Know his love and care and know that whatever would come tomorrow or the next day or years to come from now, it will not separate you from his love nor any kind of powers. And I think really all he's saying here is you think of the power, it will not separate you from him. Obviously, demonic more times than not, whatever those kinds of powers would be. And then he says height nor depth. Moose says here that the terms are intended to embrace the entire universe. Those things above the heavens and beneath the earth, heaven and earth or itself, or perhaps most likely heaven and hell. Like there's nothing. He's just shotgunning it all over the place, right? There's nothing anywhere. And oh, by the way, if you still think that maybe there's something nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some people are like, well, I noticed one thing he didn't say here. Me. Maybe I could separate myself from his love. Maybe, maybe I, I could do it, which I think is pretty hilarious when you think about how wide he's just cast this net, that somehow we would stand outside that net. You're outside of all creation somehow? Not even you can separate you from his love. Now, if you're walking in unrepentant sin as his kid, guess what? You're gonna get a little discipline, right? And how's that gonna feel? Hebrews 12, 11, for the moment, all discipline seems what? Painful rather than pleasant. And so he may bring hardship into your life and his loving care for you so that you would turn and get back with, in the right relationship with him but if you're his kid, you're always his kid. This is the message. You're always under his loving care. And nothing and no one will ever be able to separate you from his love, not even yourself. Packer says this, it means that God will never forget us or cease to care for us and that he remains our forbearing father even when we act the prodigal. Even then, his love is there. You know that phrase, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Again, Packer says this, the measure of love, human and divine, is how much it gives. By this standard, the love of God is immeasurable because both the greatness of the gift and the cost of giving are beyond our power to grasp. All human parallels fall short. All comparisons are inadequate. Nothing can separate you from his love this morning. His love is steadfast. And so we have the conviction to face our foes. We have the courage 
to forsake our fears, and we have the confidence to fuel our faith. My one last thought as we close this morning. Piper once wisely said this, if you could have heaven and Jesus wasn't there, would you want that? And it's a great question because sometimes people follow Jesus because they want the stuff. They want access to what he might be able to give. And I think if you're in it for the stuff, there is no reassurance in this text. But if you're in it for the Savior, if you just want to get as close to him as possible because you love him, then how great is it to know that his love for you can never be taken away. And then one day soon, we'll be with him for all of eternity. That's hope. That's peace in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this word this morning. We thank you for your incredible love towards us. And Lord, this morning, we're asking, Lord, would you increase our faith? Lord, as I ask that final question, I, I think that all of us here at one point, we can, whether in a day or a week or at a moment, God, we can, we can cling to idols. Things that were like, Okay, you could take away a lot, but not this thing, God, not that thing. But unfortunately, the thing is that we're most concerned about is not your love. God, forgive us for that. God, thank you for the hope that we have that the thing that we need more than anything, the thing that our soul needs more than anything is to be loved and to be loved perfectly for, by you, and Lord, that that can never be taken away. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, may these words spur your people on this week. May they encourage your people. And for those maybe, Lord, this morning who don't know you, God, may this message convict them that, Lord, they are apart from you right now, but today they could repent and put their faith in you. God, we pray that that would be so. In your name we pray, amen. This morning, we want to remember God's love for us through the partaking of communion, the Lord's Supper, through him who loved us. That's what we remember, his, his act of coming to this earth, living the perfect life, and then dying on a cross for our sins. We remember that he, in his blood, began a new covenant. And in that new covenant, that at anyone who would believe in him, they would give it, be given his spirit so that we might know and love God. This morning, if you are in Christ, you have been forgiven all of your sins. What an awesome thought. If you would just come and repent. And so as we, what they used to call the love feast, as we have this love feast together this morning, being reminded of his love for us and the love of God which we share together in the body of Christ, I would remind you that this is only for the people of God. It is only for those who are repentant and who are following him. And it is good that we would examine our hearts 
If we have doubted His love, perhaps maybe that would be the thing you would want to focus on this morning, if I've been doubting His love, that you would just confess that to Him before coming. But if you're in Christ this morning, you come, and there's four tables here. This one here has a gluten-free option for those who have a gluten allergy. But you come, you take the cup, in just a moment we're going to partake together. said this, like a mountain climber ascending a dangerous precipice behind his guide, secured only by a rope, the Christian walks through life secured by the stout cord of God's love. Because the way is treacherous, any believer may often slip and fall, but a disciple of Jesus Christ is secure because every Christian is bound to God by a gracious, unchanging, eternal, and indestructible love. And that's the love we celebrate this morning the love that was demonstrated through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we remember the words of Paul, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way. He also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Oh Lord God, we praise you this morning that you are King of kings and Lord of lords that you are an awesome Savior. Lord, when we think about that statement of you being an awesome Savior, Lord, we are mindful of the fact that not, not one of your sheep can be lost. That, Lord, you set your love upon every one of your children and you will never take it away. What an awesome, glorious truth that we have learned this morning together. God, thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for our sins. 
And this morning we rejoice that because we have placed our faith in Christ, we are no longer dead, but we are alive today. And not only are we alive, but we are more than victors through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, we're so thankful. Can't wait for that final victory when you come and make all things new. Until then, Lord, would you find us faithful? It's your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.